Church, it is such an incredible privilege to be able to do this. And I am so thankful to get the chance to, to give you the Word of God today. And it is through the text that we're going to go over today that we are going to get a perfect glimpse into our lives as Christians. And we are finishing week 47, a year of the Bible, going into week 48. I can't believe it, but we are through almost an entire year of the Bible. And if you're new here to Word of Grace, just coming in this morning, over the last year, we've been reading through the Bible as a church, and the Bible plan's been year of the Bible, and man, we are almost done. We're almost through it, and that's incredible. Now, over the last week, we went through the book of Ephesians and Colossians, and I'm sure I'm not alone in here, but the book of Ephesians is one of my favorite books in the Bible, but when you're preaching and teaching on the year of the Bible, you have to pick a text and you have to pick something that is being um, talked about as a thread through that text for the week. And if I would have done Ephesians and Colossians, we'd be here till through dinner time. So we are going to go to the book of Colossians and pretty much walk through that entire book. Uh, Stephen had just ta- taught about uh, Ephesians a year and a half ago, and Colossians is a book that we haven't really walked through as a church in quite some time, so we're going to do that today. And you know what? When we are preparing these messages, God shows us what the church needs to hear. So I trust in that, and let us just dive in to Colossians, because we're going to see how our lives as Christians need to be outside the church and inside the church, because Paul wrote this letter to the book or to the church in the the Colossian church to show them some things that they were not doing correct and to encourage them in some others. So we're going to look at five elements today that need to be foundations for us as people who follow Jesus. And this is going to essentially be my outline for this sermon. So preeminence of Christ, to be aware of incorrect teachings, that Christ is enough, that we are made new, And finally, we're going to look at how us as Christians need to walk this thing out. And the title of this sermon is The Disciples Walk. And all through the epistles, you'll see a common thread. And the common thread is that Christ is enough. And the book of Colossians is absolutely no different. And we are going to see how Paul is not only going to show them how Christ is enough, but he's going to show them that through that truth, we walk as Christians. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and get them out. Turn over to Colossians 1, and our first text is going to be Colossians 1, 15 through 22. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross." And you who, were once, you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless 
and above reproach before him. Church, this text here, 15 through 22 in the first chapter of Colossians, sets the stage for our faith. We see truths here in this text that should bring us to our knees. Now you see the word preeminence, and that's a fancy word for supreme, supremacy. And in fact, if you have an NIV version, a New uh, New International version this morning, you would have seen the word supreme instead of preeminent. They mean the same thing. But this isn't, church, this isn't just as simple as knowing that he's preeminent. Just reading the words and saying, yeah, he's preeminent. But it's believing it in our hearts that Jesus is above all. And if we truly view Jesus in the light in which he is, the podium on which he stands, our lives would look different. Me included. And church, we need to meditate and pray on this truth daily so that it sinks in. Because we so often approach God in a nonchalant way, like he's second rate. We manage our time and our money and our efforts like like God isn't supreme. Even in our prayers, and I was guilty of this last week. My daughter Charlotte, she's eight years old. She, we were doing our nightly prayer before bed, and after the prayer, she said, Dad, aren't you going to pray with a little posture? How convicting. I just approached God like he wasn't supreme. Every time we come to God, we need to approach him like he is king, like he is above all. And this is why we need to see this in this text because it's going to set the basis for how we live our lives. And I'm not just into giving you a pump me up message for the next 45 minutes because you are going to forget it in a couple hours because I'm not that great of a preacher. But what I am interested in is working through God's word, working with the power of the Holy Spirit to transform us, to transform our thoughts and to truly place in our hearts and minds the fact that Jesus is preeminent. And if we do that, our lives are going to look different. So let's dive into this text. Let's check out some elements in this text that point to his preeminence because there's a lot of them. So let's start in 15. He is the image of the invisible God. Before Jesus came... There wasn't a human that was also fully God. Jesus coming to this earth as God and man gave us an understanding of God's character in human form. We could understand who God was, but also in the body of a man. How much easier is it for us to understand that? Because otherwise, yes, he is the invisible, preeminent God. So we were able to see how Christ manifested himself, God manifested himself in Jesus, and he he worked for the purpose of redeeming all of creation. And we see how he was sinless, and he fulfilled the law that no other man could do. We saw his perfect love, how he was a perfect teacher, how he readied men to start the new church. He raised leaders up showing himself the head of the church. And we saw his perfect justice 
that was and will be. He is supreme over all. He is supreme over the body, over creation, over death. We saw how he calmed the waters and the wind, how he made more food by a miracle, how he made people healed in an instant, how he forgave sin, and how even he had authority over death, raising people and rising from the dead. And then we see that he's firstborn of all creation. He was here first. He was here before creation. And if you were a Jewish person in this church, now, the church in Colossae was predominantly a Gentile church, but you will see in our future text for today that there was some teaching of some Old Testament ways, likely from people that were of Jewish um, origins, but also the church had Jews in it. If they saw this text that he was the firstborn, immediately they'd be pointing to the fact that, oh yeah, Jesus had birthright. He was first. Therefore, he is supreme. And then look in verse 16. There's three things here that are so very important. We see the words by him, through him, and for him. All things were created. So by him, Jesus was the foreman or the artist of the creation project. But there is a theological distinctive between the Father and the Son in the work of creation. And we need to understand that as a church. So the Father was the architect. He conceived the idea of creation. Creation was his idea. And the relationship of the Father to the act of creation cannot be lessened. But then we see Jesus, the Son, he was the foreman, the artist. Everything that is created was through him and it was by him. It was his artistry that spoke creation into existence. And lastly, we see the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brought a relationship between God and creation together. So not one of these things is lesser than the other, but it's still showing us a perfect hierarchy in creation, perfectly designed by God. And as a church, we believe in the Trinity as one God, but three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All of them had a hand in creation. The Son was the artist. And then we see through him that nothing was made without Jesus' handiwork. Nothing. And for him, that all things were created to glorify God. Everything was created for the purpose of pointing to him. It's just like this. If you are a sculptor, an artist, and you're going to make a sculpture, and let's say it's a sculpture of a person, you're going to make the head and the arms and the body, and, and, and you're going to put it on a platform, and you're going to take it off to the gallery, and you're going to put it in its spot, and the night is, it's the night of the showing, and, and people are going to come see the art, and the artist stands proudly by the work of art, and people come by, and who are they praising? They're not praising the sculpture. They're praising the artist. In the same way, church, we need to be works of his art that ultimately bring glory 
to the artist, and that is Christ. All things hold together, we're seeing in verse 17. And it literally means that all things came into existence through him. That everything was put into its perfect arrangement by him. And immediately we should think of the intricacies of creation. That think about a baby being conceived, growing in a mother's womb, and being born with life. That incredible miracle created by Jesus. All things are put into existence by him. In verse 18, we get to the church and the structure of the church. We see that Jesus is the head of the church. The head, just like the head of the body. The body can't do anything without the head. You can't breathe. Your heart doesn't beat without the head. Nothing in our church can happen without Jesus. And this should align our idea of church. Everything we do in church needs to be for him and through him. We must point our church to Christ. We must be a church that's centered around Jesus. And we must carry ourselves in a way that is worthy. And we need to invite Jesus into our ministries. Whether you work in cafe, kids, worship, small groups, we must invite Jesus into everything that we do here. And not just as a church whole, but individually, as individual Christians, we need to invite Jesus into our ministries. Because, church, we don't just do this gospel thing inside these walls. We need to take it outside of this church. So therefore, each and every one of you in here and online have a ministry of your own, an individual ministry, where you can make an impact where you live, where you work, where you play. But we need to invite Jesus into those. It's not just the staff's church. It's your church. And what's the church's purpose? to glorify God, to move the gospel about. It's not just in these walls. So what does this mean practically for us sitting in here today or watching online? We must put Christ first in our hearts. So as we go out and as we do our daily lives, Christ is at the forefront of our minds and making an impact for him is at the forefront of our minds. And we don't do this alone. We need to pray that we have the vision of how to make an impact that we have the boldness and the strength and the abilities through Christ's power to make an impact. And who we're making an impact for is the head of our church, and that is Christ. Verse 19 and 20, reconciling himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. It's a need for all. It wasn't just some. He's reconciling all things, spiritual, material, and human. Spiritual, this is the wrestle between the battle of good and evil that's been going on since Genesis chapter 3. Material, if anyone is a gardener in here and has seen their garden in July, you know what I'm talking about. It's going to have one of two things. It's either going to have weeds 
or cracks in the soil, even if you're really good. What about the dead tree in the forest? Or if you go buy a car today, look underneath it in three years after driving in Wisconsin. Let me know how it looks. Everything is fleeting. And lastly, humans. We're being reconciled. We're born with complete depravity. We're born sinful. We have evil thoughts in our heart. We're born to that. We have a desire for, for the flesh, for evil. And then our bodies wear out and we die. But we are being reconciled. And we camped out so long here because us as a church need to understand this theology. We need to get this in our hearts and minds because it sets the stage for our lives as Christians. And we need to be a church that prays for individual ministries as well as the ministry of our church. That we would continue to have this knowledge deeply root within us so that it's not just intellectual knowledge, that it's a heart's posture, that it's true belief that this is how we live because Jesus is above all, upholding all. He died for all and he deserves the praise of all. He's preeminent. And that should be enough, but in verse 21 and verse 22, we see what Christ did for us. And you who were once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds. He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy, holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Church, do me a favor. Take a brief moment and think about your life before being saved. Think about where your heart was, what your actions day to day was like. And now think about what he's done in you by his miraculous supernatural power and how you have been changed. Or maybe you're in here new today and you don't even know really who Jesus is until I started talking. But you feel stirring and there's some reason you came in here. That is his goodness and his reconciliation. He calls us to him. And I know I'm not alone in here saying, man, does he call us out of some nasty stuff. Praise be to God for that. So reflect this morning on the power of his reconciliation. Look in the text 21. We were alienated. Alienated from who? God. You ever wonder before you were saved why you could never come into full relationship with God? What is wrong with me? I can't. It's because you were alienated from God and it's only through Jesus that we can come into relationship with him. God in his mercy showed you truth and reconciled you. We're hostile in mind. Once we're saved, though, we are changed, but not perfect. Doing evil deeds, changed, but still not perfect. The difference is the preeminent Christ, Jesus, who reconciles us ultimately in the end will bring this fully to a close fully reconciled in him, fully with him. And how does he do it? Through his death on the cross. And we stand guilty before a preeminent God of our sin. So much so that we deserve eternal torture and punishment. That a billion years into our torture, we look at the smoke rising 
and we realize that we are no closer to the end than when we first started a billion years ago. Never ending torture and punishment. But Jesus steps in and he took it for us. And instead of being guilty, we are put before a preeminent judge who is above all as blameless. And the father says, you're good to go. And we're saved. Jesus is above all, upholding all, died for all, deserves the praise of all. He is preeminent. And with a changed view of God, man, our lives are going to look a lot different. And we need to take practical steps as a church to get this truth to sink into our hearts and minds. We have to pray. We have to read. We have to read this book. And as we do, we have to pray that this truth sinks in and transforms us. Because again, I'm not just into giving you a message today. I'm into you being encouraged to read this book and being transformed in heart so that this truth does impact you and it does stir you to live your life differently because you know who this God is that we're serving. And now we have to remain in these truths as well because we're susceptible. We're susceptible to evil just as the church of the Colossians was as well. Check out Colossians 2, 6 through 15. It's our next text for the day. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of of all rule and authority in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and, un and the uncircumcision of your flesh God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, which he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over him, over them in him. So church, do not put your trust in human wisdom and understanding. We must walk in him. And us as Christians, we need to be rooted and built up in Jesus, in the truth, in his word. And we must put the knowledge of this truth in our hearts so that we are not led astray by false teaching. And scripture must be handled carefully so we are not led astray by false teaching. In other words, theology matters, church. It matters to understand this well. From the real God study we did as a church a couple years ago, there's a quote in here by A.W. Tozer. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. How we view fundamental truths of the Bible are so important because they have implications on our faith and how we walk as Christians. So we need to take time to study the Word of God. It's not only to build us up, but also to have the truth stored in us so that we are equipped. Equipped for what? Equipped to know what's true and equipped to do His work. 
So we have to wrestle with it. We have to pray, meditate. With every fiber of our being, come to understand it. And the great thing is, it's not on our own accord. The Holy Spirit is the one who enlightens us and shows us the truth. All glory to him. And even reading our Bible. A task that so many would think, it's all me. No, it's him. And even the preaching that we hear, whether it's here or anywhere else, we need to take that preaching to Scripture and challenge what you hear from up here. Challenge my words against Scripture. That's how we know it's truth. And we clearly see in verse 8 that the Colossians were practicing a theology that was contrary to the truth that they had heard. And actually what they were being roped into and starting to believe was Gnosticism. Now, not something that is incredibly prevalent in our church today, but we are no different because we fall prey to other things. We fall prey to other teaching. We fall prey to thinking that we need to clean ourselves up first to come into relationship with God. We become embroiled in politics where we blur the lines between Christ and the politicians. And we're forgetting about who's supreme and who is truly running our country and our world. And we listen to all sorts of other preachers on any platform which you could name who handle scripture incorrectly or poorly at best, and it leads us on a trajectory that's away from the truth, and it changes our views. It has implications on our faith. It has implications on our walk. And lastly, we have our own human traditions. We focus on traditions that take us to an area that's contrary to Scripture. A lot of us have the human tradition where we have a tradition of opening our phones and going to Facebook more than we have the human tradition of opening the Bible. So it looks different for Word of Grace than the Church of the Colossians, but it still has the same implications on our faith. This text is so very much for us today. Let's dive into our next one. Colossians 2, 16 through 19 are the ones I'm going to read. You'll see up through 23 up there, but we're just going to go to 19 for time's sake. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on ascetism and worship of angels going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with the growth that is from God. This text does not mean this morning that we are not to judge one another. We need to be a church that holds each other accountable. But there's good ways to do this, there's healthy ways, and then there's unhealthy ways to do this. And churches, Paul is writing to a church that has bad theology in it, bad teachings, 
and being critical of people that actually had massive implications on their faith. They continued in the same legalistic practices that you saw in the Old Testament. They were teaching still that if you do this, you can have God. If you do all these legalistic practices, you'll have a relationship with God. But that was all wiped away with Jesus. That's not true. So this same old, if you do this, you get God, incorrect, false teaching. And it was bad teaching in this church. So in one sense, I'm saying to you today to judge one another. And in another sense, today I'm, teach, I'm telling you to not judge one another. Are you confused yet? I'll make it clear. We need to hold each other accountable to matters of sin, to matters of sin which can take the Christian and take them off course. Yes, we judge in that way, and we do it with love. And we bring it to the person, and we make them aware, and we pray for them and help them. And if you're a brother or sister that has someone come to you about your sin, you thank them for showing you and ask for prayer and ask for them to guide you and help you. That's healthy judgment. But where judgment does not lie today is judgment that says that we need to do something to get God. That we need to clean ourselves up before we can have God. Any legalistic regulation in the church will work to nullify the work on the cross. The only thing we must do is trust in Jesus, put our faith and hope in him, and press into him. So practically, this looks like moving towards him and not away. If you're feeling stirring today, you move into that. You move into his word, into prayer, into closeness with him, and not away. You need to pray that you're saved and born again in him. And hold on to the truth that there's nothing that you do, nothing you do can qualify you and make you good enough to come in a relationship with God. Christ is enough, and it is by his work on the cross alone that we are saved. It's only by him. And trusting in this confidence as followers of Jesus Man, that is, that is good news because we can't be clean enough for God. We wouldn't be able to do it. The good news is we don't have to do it. We don't have to trust in ourselves and our own ability because, man, would we mess it up. The good news is the debt is paid in full by Jesus on the cross, and it's a gift from God that's freely given to us. So once Jesus has called you and you follow him, we put on a new self. Colossians 3, 1 through 17. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on, that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self 
with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I wish I had a handheld mic because I would drop it. What an amazing text. Sums it up for us. Jesus saves us and he keeps us. The text does not say in verse 5, I will make vanish before your eyes all temptations, evil desires, or passions. Life isn't like when you're packing a cold lunch for a child and you want them to eat healthy, so you put only healthy things in the lunchbox. No, life is full of Twinkies and Ho-Hos that take us off path. There's all kinds of stuff in this life. We exist in a fallen world. So what does the text say? Put to death what is earthly in us. And we need to make a conscious effort to do this. We must be a people who are called to holiness and hold ourselves accountable to a life that can make an impact for the gospel. Paul says what we must put away. Let's check out 8 and 9 again. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. And we're going to battle this until we're called home. We're going to be fighting this. But in this battle, fighting our sin and our evil desires, we find strength in Christ. And we realize that our struggles are ultimately to grow us and to what? Glorify God. That is our purpose. Let's check out Colossians 1.23. I skipped it before and I did it on purpose. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So my last sermon back in, November, uh, back in September, I preached to you guys, I said that once God chooses us, we are kept. And this is called the perseverance of the saints. And this is true in 1 Peter 1, 3-4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to the living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Now turn your eyes back to Colossians 1, 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, if you eat healthy, you'll have more energy. If you don't jump off of your house's roof, you won't break your ankles. If, indeed, you continue in the faith. Church, we got skin in the game. 
We got a job to do. We must remain stable and steadfast in our daily walks. We must remain in the truth. We must remain prayerful. We must remain vigilant in our daily time with God, seeking him first, putting aside our desires of the flesh so that we can set our trajectories on the Lord. We need to point our eyes to Christ. We have skin in the game. We need to remind ourselves often of the goodness of God, putting our minds on things above Colossians 3.2. When we are saved, it is an immeasurable gift from God that never spoils. We must remain in him so that our perseverance isn't spoiled. And here's the difference is that if we are saved, if your heart is truly changed, yes, you will be kept till the end. That is a biblical promise, and that is truth. But here's the difference, is that when you're saved, your heart's posture, your knowledge of this truth, you also know the truth about what will happen if you turn from him. So it is by the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth in God's word that we are kept. It is supernatural and he is good in it. We can't turn from a God who is all-powerful, perfectly loving, and has promised us this gift. And in the end, perfect justice where we are going to be saved. He is supreme. And church, we're going to have our ups and downs. We're not guaranteed that once you're saved, hey, it's just going to be easy. Nothing's going to ever go wrong. That is not truth. What is true is that we are going to have ups and downs. We are going to have trials. We are going to be battling our sin. But we need to plant our flag on the truth that Christ is enough and that he will sustain us and that our struggles are ultimately to glorify him. And it is through this growth that we become effective movers of the gospel. So put on the new self created in Christ Jesus and remain constant in the hope of the gospel. And it is through our new selves that we exhibit the goodness in our lives. Jesus gave us perfect example on how to live. He showed us a perfect ministry perfect service, perfect love. And Paul exhorts the church of Colossae with the same truth. Colossians 3.18, we'll go all the way through chapter 4, verse 5. Wives, submit to your husbands as fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily. Ask for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bond servants justly and fairly, knowing that you have a master in heaven. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the world to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of time. 
and let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Uh, here we go. The most wonderful, controversial text, at least of today, that I picked out here through the Lord's showing, but it could possibly be one of the most controversial texts out there too in this day and age. Wives, submit to your husbands and it is fitting for the Lord. And I want to draw attention to it because there's so many unhealthy assumptions about this text. It doesn't mean, wives, that you were to be a doormat to your husband, that husbands, you are to lord over your wives. No, this, was, this is about love. This shows Christ's design for creation, the church, and the family. Jesus submitted to the Father to the point of death. Wives, submit to your husbands. Children, submit to parents. And husbands, submit to the Lord. So I want to remove focus off of this, off of this 18, and I want to put it on 19, because men, you are the spiritual leaders of your home. You are not to be the one being dragged to church on a Sunday morning. You should be the one bringing your family to church. You should be the one leading your family to Christ. Men, open your Bibles, pray with your families, pray for your families. You need to show your family a godly man who submits to the authority of the preeminent Christ. And men, treat your wives with love and respect, with a love that was reflected in Christ's love for the church. You know what? A love so great that he died for her. And love your children so that they don't become resentful. This text even speaks to how employees are supposed to entreat employers and how employers are supposed to treat employees. We're supposed to work as though we're working unto the Lord. Man, would that set the pace for our work ethic tomorrow morning when we go into work? When you change your perspective and when you change the thought of who you're actually working for, again, you start to look different. Even that can be evangelism. Man, why is he working so hard? We always slack off. And he's working unto the Lord. What an opportunity. And you work for someone who we just saw is preeminent, who is above all, who deserves all praise of all. And we do it through our work. And how does Paul end his instruction here in the letter? He ends it by telling the church to remain steadfast in prayer. He exhorts them to be watchful and vigilant, vigilant in their prayer. And he tells them to pray with thanksgiving. In other words, worship. That we're not just praying like God is a genie in a bottle and, and we only pray when we need things. No, we pray to worship him for what he's doing in our lives. For saving us. For giving us his word. For giving us a church that can come around us. For giving us our daily provisions. We worship him. And last, Paul asks for a prayer that they would be effective in spreading the gospel. And church, as we head into next year, we need to be a church that is praying for that as well. 
We need to bust down the walls of these, this church and take the gospel out of it. That this isn't just about Sunday, that this is a seven-day-a-week Christian walk. We're going to make an impact for Jesus out of these walls where the world that we live in is going to be changed because we move the gospel about. And Christ will use each and every one of you to advance the gospel because that's what we're commanded to do. And when he said he'll give you anything that you ask, it wasn't that he was going to give you a pony. It was that he was going to make you effective and capable to move the gospel outside of this church. So we also need to be a church that prays for courage, for boldness, for the abilities, and for open doors and vision to see how we can make an impact. Simple prayer tonight. God, give me somebody to make an impact for and watch what happens. Our one mission in this existence, the reason why we are breathing right now while you're sitting here, is to point the world to Christ. So let us, as a church, move this gospel out of here. We must increase prayer for open doors in the work of the gospel. We have to remember that the people in our lives are watching us. Our best form of evangelism can be how we conduct ourselves in our daily lives. Even in the mundane tasks, we have an opportunity to show someone the love and the light of Christ. That everywhere we go, we need to remember who we reflect, and that is Jesus. Let us walk as though the whole world is watching for Christ in us. But we don't walk as though we are better than the others. We don't walk as though we're arrogant. That'd be contrary to the gospel. That would not be for the benefit of moving it. But we walk in light so that others see us and they go, man, they are weird. And church, I don't want you to be weird, weird. I want you to be weird as in make people wonder what is wrong with you. Why are you so loving? Why is light shining from you? It's Jesus. So let's let Christ's love reflect in you as you go out of here today and make it your mission to make an impact for the world in which you live. Church, let us pray. God, we praise you. We praise you for your preeminence. We praise you that you are above all, upholding all, that everything was created for you and through you. God, that you are the head of this church and the head of our lives and our families. And God, we praise you for calling us out of the darkness, calling us to you and saving us. We praise you that it was only through your power that we can come to faith in you. God, I pray for unbelievers here today that they would have a supernatural stirring and working in them that, God, they would feel that stirring and move towards it, not away from it. God, I pray for our families, that our families would reflect your design for the family, God. I pray that our families would be active in discipling one another and that our families would be led to a life that reflects you. And, God, lastly, I pray for open doors for each and every one of our church members here at Word of Grace, that they would have open doors to move your gospel, that you would show them in ways that they can make an impact for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, if you could please stand. So church, each Sunday we come in here and we worship and we hear God's word. We should be asking ourselves, what's next? How do I take what I heard in here and move it outside.
And the answer is this. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That is what you do. Go make disciples. You are dismissed, church.